But I think it'd be too simple to say, and with one bound we are free, and we are now a separate party, and we've really nothing to do with those chaps down there, it's all really quite different. I'm not sure people are going to buy that. That was Ian Duncan, more formally known as Lord Duncan of Springbank, a Scottish Conservative peer at Westminster, and we'll hear more from him later in the show. Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson Media that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip, and on this episode I'll be joined by my political reporting comrades Adele Merson and Justin Bowie to examine and explain the last week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, compiled and read by Morag Lindsay. The former British ambassador to the US, Lord Kim Darach, claims Russian President Vladimir Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union. Lord Darach made his comments as tensions grow between Russia and Ukraine. Foreign Secretary Liz Truss voiced support for Boris Johnson and said there is no leadership election. Ms Truss was in Australia where she offered 100% backing for the under-fire Prime Minister. And more than half of people in Scotland think the Downing Street Party scandal has hurt the case for the Union. A poll suggests support for independence is tied with support for staying in the United Kingdom, but it also suggests 78% of Scots think Boris Johnson should resign. Thanks, Morag. Now, let's turn our attention to what's been happening closer to home. This being a regular day on planet Britain, we are, of course, talking about the ongoing mess engulfing our Prime Minister and his party. Since we last gathered for our weekly chat, there have been demands for his resignation outbursts in the Commons, a defection from Conservative to Labour and an incredible accusation of blackmail against the Tory rebels. It's been a fast-paced week and we're not even to the point where Sue Gray's report on all the various parties uh, and behaviour at Downing Street is published. It's not all being Conservatives though. We'll get round to discussing whether politics has a macho work environment um, in Holyrood as well after claims Green MSP and new Scottish Government Minister Lorna Slater was shirking her duties. Um, But first, I took the opportunity to speak to Conservative members, supporters, MSPs and MPs to take the temperature on the Downing Street scandal. Um, I got a bit of time with Conservative peer Lord Duncan. He's a familiar member of the party in and around Perthshire. He's a former MEP back from the days when we were in the European Union. He's been a Scotland office minister for the UK government under Theresa May. He's a graduate of St Andrews University and lots more besides I began by asking him if it was time for Boris Johnson to go. It's going to be very difficult to see how the Prime Minister plays this out over the next few days. A report is coming, but it's been constantly delayed. And while a report is useful, because it should get all the facts before the public, the party and so forth, that long wait has meant an awful lot of people have already made up their minds. And that's particularly difficult because they're making up their minds potentially without all the information. I think the real issue we now face is the Prime Minister who now can't really do anything until this report comes along. And during this period of, let's call it, the phony war, uh, each day a new revelation appears, each day a new uh, event occurs. I was um, watching Prime Minister's questions from the gallery and thinking, hmm, that's not great. Um, You're literally seeing a defection, which is unusual, uh, at this stage in a parliament with a majority of 80. Well, not anymore, obviously. Um, So with all that in mind, this has to be brought to an end as quickly as it can, because it's just doing harm harm to the country. Uh, it's doing harm to the, the party and government. Um, and, and at some point, you know, the voters will make up their mind at various elections, and we're not far out of the May elections. And that's not going to be pretty, uh, unless there's absolute clarity 
uh, of purpose and a government that is able to deliver and a government whose integrity and um, decency and propriety has been endorsed and uh, and accepted. And we're nowhere near any of those things yet. I mean, you, you watched uh, Prime Minister's questions um, lunchtime on Wednesday. Mm. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're we're speaking just after that, and there's yes. a lot of um, probably it's very fresh, sure, yes. fresh in in the mind. I mean, you, mm. you mentioned there was a uh, an amazing start where you, you saw the Conservative MP cross the floor, yes. and then each party in turn saying it was time for the Prime Minister to resign, ending with that uh, astonishing sort of outburst from mm. the back benches where David Davis said, "For the love of God, go." I mean, that's not a good look. I mean, is, the, is this now all over bar the shouting? No. It's unusual to see, in a, in a party that's so broad, to literally be able to unite what appear to be the 2019 intake from the red wall seats and an old war horse like David Davis, a traditional Brexiteer. If you've got a whole, if you've got such a breadth of support hemorrhaging from a prime minister, he's got to do something pretty amazing to bring it back. And that's going to be very difficult until the report uh, exonerates him. It has to do that. The report would have to say he is not guilty of any of these misdemeanors and malfeasances which have been levelled against him. And that will be a challenge because he's already admitted on a number of occasions aspects which, you know, to, to anybody who lived through the last two years in Great Britain with various restrictions, have made them feel deeply uncomfortable because it does look like a rule for the government who make the rules and very, very different enforcement of those rules for the, the 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 rest of the country. And that's what I mean about the people making up their mind. And while the Prime Minister may well be able to carry on after this report is published, it's a bigger debate whether indeed the results of the local elections are a ringing endorsement of the Prime Minister in office. And d- does he have your support? At the moment, I am not comfortable with what has unfolded, and I would need to see what is being proposed to make me feel comfortable as a member of the party. And I don't feel comfortable at present. I don't think we are in a good place, and I need to understand absolutely what the um, what the um, examination of all the facts has delivered, and then I will make a judgment call at that point. But in the interim, I am certainly not a happy camper in the Conservative Party. You're not alone in the Scottish Conservatives uh, in thinking that. Um, the MSPs group mm. have um, spoken pretty much as one. And Douglas Ross, who is MP for Murray, mm. an MSP for the Highlands and Islands and the Scottish Conservative Party leader, he was um, quite quick mm. to to make his uh, opinion known. I mean, he, he effectively has bet the house on it now. Mm. Um, this is... A quite a tense time for for Scottish Conservatives, um, where the the kind of the, the, the could we call it a split between the UK and Scottish parties has never looked more exposed. Uh, what, how do you see this playing out for Scottish Conservatives, and uh, you know whether or not Boris Johnson stays or goes? Mm. I suppose, in one sense, Douglas Ross has called it as he saw it. And he's been very clear on that. He resigned from the Boris Johnson government over previous uh, misbehaviours. And he has been very clear on this occasion. So there's no equivocation on his position. And he has been pretty much backed by the party in Scotland. Um, It will be very difficult, as far as I can see, to reconcile these two houses uh, comfortably together going forward. Um, And 
that will be a real challenge for the party as a whole, because it is still a, a party across the United Kingdom. And so trying to bring about the, the healing that will need to come, irrespective of what happens to Boris Johnson and his premiership, uh, there will need to be, I think, a healing and an appreciation within the party that Scotland's voice can't simply be dismissed as uh, people very far away from where things really matter. I don't think that has gone down at all well with the members. Um, I don't think it's actually true either, frankly, but I don't think it's gone down well. And I think there needs to be a broader appreciation that we are a part of the United Kingdom and we have uh, we are all the stronger for it. But I'm not sure that necessarily all my colleagues down here have perhaps quite um, quite seen it that way. And that's wrong and bad for a whole range of different reasons. Uh, what do you think of that idea that the Scottish Conservative Party needs to cut ties with the UK party in order to thrive? Is that... Um, is that a good idea or is it something that would just make things worse and, and push the party further apart ideologically or even just whether or not you can share the same stage much longer at all? I think the challenge in creating a new party is that what does a new party do that the old party didn't do and what will look different and what will be different? And I know Murdo well and I remember examining very carefully his uh, proposals um, and I remember the result of the election that followed uh, on from his publication of those, uh, and Ruth Davidson secured a, a resounding uh, support of the party. Things move on, of course, and this has come back. There may be time to you know, seriously examine how the party should be structured at, at, a, at a wider level, um, and that may be a useful thing to do. But I think it would be too simple to say, and with one bound we are free, and we are now a separate party, and we've really nothing to do with those chaps down there, and it's all really quite different. I'm not sure people are going to buy that. Um, I think we, we do need to look at the structures, we do need to look at the relationships within the party as a whole to make sure they're fit for purpose and that they work. And you don't have someone like Rhys Mogg uh, suggesting that the democratically elected leader of the Scottish party is somehow dismissible, while the, um, the Secretary of State appointed by the Prime Minister somehow other represents the people of, of the party in Scotland. You, know, you do need to find a different way of ensuring that the party and its leadership understand how it currently works. That would be helpful let alone um, you know, what may well be useful revisions uh, you know, for a new age. But I'm, I, don't think that, I don't think this solution solves this problem, but I do think an examination of the wider structures in the party would be no bad thing, and a serious education policy to help uh, certain MPs south of the border appreciate exactly how the party actually works in practice, because it does seem that that's missing, and that's not particularly helpful. Of course, we're talking about Ruth Davidson here as well. Um, she's not here to, to to answer for herself or def, or def, or defend herself. We're, we're just um, casting my mind back. Of course, she she resigned. Um, there was a very tense time, which you will remember all too well, as a, as a Ooh. former MEP uh, yeah. after the Brexit vote. Um, eventually, Ruth Davidson decided that that she couldn't continue in charge. There were there were lots of other reasons around that. But, um, since then, people still seem to default to Ruth Davidson quite a lot for a bit mm. of outside commentary from the, you know, from the a former leader. I mean, do you still think that she represents a sort of um, the, the closest thing to a sort of mainstream Scottish Conservative opinion or outlook just now? Is there is there anyone else beyond the the current party that that still kind of crystallises what the party sort of aims to do or or, or plans to do in Scotland? I mean, Ruth Davidson remains 
a big character, a, a big beast in the jungle. And she's also got a great gift for communication. She can explain things very clearly in a way that people get. So I think she's got a lot of assets that help probably people like you want to speak to her because she can give you good copy. She can explain things in headline forms and she can she can cut through. And that's a great thing. Not every politician is so gifted uh, as uh, Ruth Davidson. Um, I suspect she's still very much in tune with uh, the party itself. I don't think she's disappeared off the off the firmament. She's still active. Uh, and she's a member, of course, of the upper house as well. So, I mean, she she has issues that she wants to pursue down here, and this is a platform for doing that. Um, I mean, previous leader, of course, Annabel Gordy is actually in the government. She's a minister in the Department of Defence. Um, we don't have a lot of big beasts, I suppose. But there was a long time when we had no beasts. So, perhaps that's the reason why those uh, voices are all the stronger. With Boris Johnson. In, in the position he's he's in at the moment, and with Ruth Davidson out of Parliament in Scotland, mm. Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP are are presumably enjoying the, um, the 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 recruiting sergeant element that Boris Johnson has for the SNP and the independence uh, cause. Mm -hmm. Do do you worry that he's he's now so prominent a target? That that the pro independence ranks will will continue to a point where um, it doesn't really matter what the conservatives do, mm. or do you think that um, you know he if he's replaced actually things would reset and perhaps the SNP won't be as as fortunate when it comes to pointing at people like Jacob Rees-Mogg or Boris Johnson and saying mm. you know this is why we need to leave. Mm -hmm. It's quite funny. I was having a chat on the flight back up with some of the SNP MPs, and it's a very very open. So be very careful what you wish for, because if you do indeed get rid of Boris Johnson, your major recruiting sergeant may simply be gone. So you know that's there's a number of my colleagues here who would say you know to their SNP uh, colleagues, you know, frankly, you know, it will benefit us to get rid of him and benefit you to keep him. Well, on a very simple, simplistic level, and I think the problem you face for, for the SNP is you can't deliver. An a groundswell of support for an independence referendum during the height of Brexit and the height of Boris. When can you do it? I, th I think that that is an issue. And I would like to think that over the next few years we do re-examine exactly what our relationship is within the United Kingdom, how devolution is working, what works really well, what should be enhanced, what should be reconsidered, and so forth. Because in fact, it should be a constant reconsideration anyway. Every uh, democracy should be looking at how it works and making sure it's fit for a purpose. And there are different ways that things could be done. I think the SNP have got only one solution to everything, and that is independence. Whereas there are many nuances that you could examine about how um, the, the, the four nations can work together as they have through the COVID crisis. And I think it's been a steep learning curve for a number of English politicians to have to come to the content, come to terms with the term, you know, the four nations, which you know for a very long time. In all parties, there's no concept for even four nations. When I speak, I speak for the UK. But no, you don't. You speak for England on that matter. And there has been you know, widespread uh, ignorance, I would argue, in governments that I've witnessed over my time in politics, which is now two decades, from all parties, who you know still have not really fully come to terms with the fact that devolution is a reality. Um, and that also applies in Scotland, where the ability of the, the Scottish government to believe in any way they could possibly collaborate with colleagues south of the border is somehow anathema. 
but actually you can get more done if you do that. So there, you know, people see in this constitution debate what they want to see, but the people just want things to you know work, to deliver what they need, to you know, make things better. Uh, and you know, where collaboration makes that so, that's what people want to happen, and where it isn't needed, then it, you know you don't have to have it. But the bottom line is, this is all for consideration. What shall we do next? Not shall we sever at the border, uh, and that's the only solution we can offer. But I would say that. So, <laughs> well, I mean, if we can draw it back to to the beginning a little bit then mm. um just looking at everything we've we've discussed there and and uh, the sort of stock taking of, of where the conservatives are mm. do you i mean do you think it's um over egging it to say that, that the conservatives at the at right now um, with boris johnson in the position he's in um are a, a, a proper crossroads now one way or the other could determine the future of of the party's success mm. um at the next general election but also the, the fate of the union um do you, is that a reasonable a reasonable way to to look at it at the moment or do you think that um you know the i wonder if it is i mean what's in my head is that all the criticism i've seen over the last period hasn't really been about let's put it like, the conservative party are dreadful a lot of the criticism is just about one person at the head of the conservative party and it's unusual you know to categorize it in so simple a term but um you know, the party in 2019 won, you know, quite an extraordinary majority. The party in 2019 retained, you know, Scottish seats, you know, not a long period when there were none. So, you know, the party itself is in relatively good shape. The real question is whether, uh, in going forward, that that the leader of the party, the prime minister himself, can give confidence to the wider community that he is the man for the moment and the man to keep the job and the man to keep going, or not. But it's usually usually categorizes about Boris rather than about the party in government. Because the party in government has a healthy working majority and will be able to govern. The question is who leads the government? That's the test. Okay. Lord Duncan, thanks very much for talking to us. Oh, my pleasure. Well, there was a lot to a lot to chew over there from from the that discussion with with Lord Duncan. Um, I mean, we were listening intently there. He called it a phony war. He was talking about support hemorrhaging. Um, he admitted in his um, slightly more diplomatic terms that he's not a happy camper. Um, there's a you know we discussed the Scottish split. He wants to re-educate his colleagues in England, um, and he's clearly worried about the relationship between the Scottish and UK parties, and sees Boris Johnson. Um, as a bit of a recruiting sergeant for independence. Adele, Lord Duncan, obviously not happy with the relationship he has with um, Scottish and UK parties, the likes of, as he put it, Rees Mogg, which I thought was quite curt. What, what do you think of that whole debate reopening and the, and the fact that he doesn't see these two houses being able to reconcile? This is a big problem for them. Um, how can they ever get back on the same page when you've got Boris Johnson in, in one house and Douglas Ross in the other? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting in in that interview, he, he mentioned, you know, Douglas Ross, how he's been so sort of unequivocal, I think was the word he used, unequivocal in his in his stance that he's come out very clearly stating that, uh, just as he did in the case of Dominic Cummings, um, stating very clearly that he obviously doesn't agree with what's happened and very straightforward as a result, he is calling for the Prime Minister to go. Whereas you look at some of the, the sort of other Scottish MPs, sort of the likes of um, up in Aberdeen, you've got uh, Aberdeenshire, you've got Aber- Andrew Bowie, and then you've got David Duggan. They are sort of more on the fence. They're, they're acting like, 
oh, you know, a bit like what Lord Duncan said there, we're not com- we're not too comfortable about what we're hearing, but we want to wait for Sue Gray. And I think that really kind of sums up this, even a split within, you know, some of the MPs in Scotland and some of the MSPs in Scotland. And then also that big difference between the situation in Scotland and the situation in in England. And as he said there, well, he did accuse all parties of this, but they, that they don't really, there is definitely a sort of, ignorance around Scotland almost and and I think that's summed up by these kind of dismissive comments that were made uh, the other week by Jacob Rees-Mogg mm. and it definitely sounded like Lord Duncan thought there had been you know the, those had been quite dismissive comments. Yeah and Boris Johnson was given the opportunity at Prime Minister's Questions I think it was PMQs to say whether he actually thought that Douglas Ross was indeed a lightweight and he completely dodged the question and started talking about the Tory support for the union and what a wonderful job they're doing. Um, it was not a ring endorsement. I mean, it, the idea of them both continuing as if this was some mad late night row and then just not talking to each other about it ever again and pretending nothing happened, it's, it's not really conceivable, really, is it? I mean, we've got a Scottish party which is entirely at odds now with the UK leadership um, in a way that I can't remember happening before for anyone. So, I mean... As Lord Duncan pointed out, this uh, phony war, as he called it at the moment, before we get to any kind of conclusion, it's um, it's hemorrhaging support and it's coming down like, like a, a lead balloon with the public. It, Justin, you, you were also watching Prime Minister's questions uh, on Wednesday. Lord Duncan was clearly not happy. Um, as an impartial observer, what did what did you make of the the prime minister's appearance as well, and, and reflecting a little bit on how um, a conservative lord also saw it as he as he watched from the gallery? Well, watching it, I thought there was this kind of remarkable situation, and it was the same the week before, where you have a prime minister telling people to wait for the results of the an inquiry into an event that he attended. So. He has obviously judged that that is the best approach for him and that, you know, that's the best way to keep himself out of trouble, essentially. But the issue there is that everyone can kind of see through that. Everyone can see that that is, you know, he clearly knows what's happened. He clearly kind of has a good idea of what's went on. And he's very much been backed into a corner in that regard. I thought it was interesting that when Keir Starmer was asking his questions, in previous weeks, he's maybe been more interrogative, you know, he's been more kind of serious. This week, he almost seemed to be kind of just laughing at him. He seemed to also find the whole thing quite farcical and quite ridiculous. So, yeah, he just the Prime Minister just seems to have backed himself into a corner and there's not really any way out of it. And the fact that you have, you know, Douglas Ross, David Davis, senior figures within the party, you obviously have the defection of Christian Wakeford. Even though he's not in a position yet where they're, maybe ready to oust him there just seems to be so many kind of different sides of the party and so many different figures closing in on him um and i think that they also just find that excuse ridiculous that could be one of the reasons that he is losing support you know the fact he's not owned the mistake the fact that he's apologized but is also insisting he's done nothing wrong that could be the issue that is then making you know loyal conservative voters turn away from the party potentially Lord, Lord Duncan talked about the, the future of the union a lot there as well. And as luck would have it, there was a, a poll came out just just before we started chatting today. Um, uh, you know, it, it again puts yes and no pretty much on equal footing. Um, it would appear that if there was a vote held today, it would be 
straight down the middle, 50%, yes, 50%, no. Um, I mean, I I put it to to Ian Duncan that Boris Johnson was, you know, the SNP's best recruiting sergeant at the moment, and he's clearly being a pretty terrible field marshal for the Conservatives too. But, I mean, Adele, did you take from what Lord Duncan was saying that there is clearly a concern that they are just it's this is like manna from heaven from the SNP at the moment surely uh, well yeah you made quite an interesting point around it isn't it isn't I guess because lots of the comments that are being made such as the ones we just discussed you know from Jason, Jacob Rees-Mogg they they massively benefit the SNP they're the sort of ones that will continue you know that lightweight comment will continue to be sort of parroted I, I don't know for how long months years even so in, in that sense yes they're, they're playing into their hands they're they're making the union look you know, what they're making Scotland look like it's an afterthought of the UK government. Sorry, the UK people like Jacob Rees-Mogg are doing that. And I think that, but on the other hand, as as um, Lord Duncan said, he, what better time is there for it to make the argument for independence than when you've got somebody so uh, controversial as Boris Johnson. And so in that sense, this is, if they lose, you know, if the UK government loses Boris Johnson, then they could have a better alternative, uh, somebody that is less sort of divisive in Scotland. And so in that sense, you could kind of argue it either way. Um, It's certainly going to be interesting with May's local elections. Again, I see it kind of 50-50 for the Conservatives there, because on one hand, uh, up in in Scotland, because on one hand, at least now, I I spoke to one MSP up here, one North East MSP, who said that, well, now they can go on the doors and they can quite honestly say, we don't, no, you're right, we don't agree with what Boris Johnson has done and that is why we've taken the stance we have. But on the other hand, it's a really weird, as you say, it's a really unusual, unique situation where they're also asking voters to put their trust in a party who is part of an overall party that they themselves don't seem to agree with. So, yeah, there's there's... It's a really, really strange situation and it, it almost, it could go either way. And I think we all kind of wait for this Sue yeah. Gray report that keeps getting a much kind of mentioned Sue Gray report. And that will really, I think, speed things along either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a particularly unusual um, time, so close to a, an election as well, with all these different dynamics going on. But um, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot here about the Conservatives again. They, they keep on muscling their way to the front. That you know, it hasn't just been um, all about them this week. There's been lots of other things going on in the wor- the, the the world of politics um, in Hollywood too. Um, I mean, we don't have time to get around everything, but the week started with a bit of a a, a row, which um, kind of brings the debate back to uh, political working culture. I mean, we've we've clearly seen how the uh, the you know the, the civil servants and politicians like to let off steam with various parties down in in, in Downing Street. Um, meanwhile, the uh, the Scottish Parliament was looking inwards as well, talking about whether or not we have the right kind of attitude in the workplace, um, and whether or not we have a, it's too macho or there's too much emphasis on incredibly long hours and working two weeks straight without a day off. So, just Justin, can you talk us through a little bit of this story? Um, it centres on Lorna Slater, the Green MSP. Um, who is now in the Scottish Government, and she was kind of put right into the limelight when the COP26 
the Climate Change Summit came to Glasgow at the end of uh, last year. But what what were um, what was she in the news for? Remind us. So um, a story emerged earlier in the week uh, and there was criticism of Lorna Slater for a list of demands that she had set out when she was going to COP26. So I think I believe the first week of COP26 she hadn't been able to attend because she had COVID. Um, she was then going to the following week and she had a list of demands which included stuff like, you know, I, I don't want to do mo- more than two things per day. Um, wanted to, yeah, just essentially making sure that her workload was well, either quite low or that it was, you know, limited so that she could kind of carry out other duties. Um, that was then met from criticism, with criticism, sorry, from rival parties, particularly the Labour Party, who kind of hit out at her saying that her ministerial job was essentially made up and that the only thing that her and her party were doing was, was propping up the SNP essentially. However, there was a little bit of pushback on this from within the Labour Party, which was quite interesting. Um, I believe both Monica Lennon and Mercedes Villalba both kind of then hinted towards this macho culture thing where politicians are perhaps expected to work constantly, they're perhaps expected to always be on call. And obviously being a politician and being a high-level politician and a minister is, is always going to be a tough job. You're expected to work on usual hours, you're going to be expected to kind of respond to events as they happen. Um, However, they did point out that, yes, politicians are also people too. They need time off. Um, I believe Mercedes Villalba shared a clip of the old Labour Foreign Secretary, uh, Robin Cook, talking about how he liked to be quite well rested when he did his work. He felt that that was more advantageous, that a minister would work better if they weren't stressed. So it sparked this interesting discussion within, you know, the Labour Party as well. They are the party, I suppose, of the workers traditionally, aren't they? And they've always been a party that fights for workers' rights, that fights to make sure, or, you know, they should, they've, they've always been perceived as that sort of party. Um, and, yeah, some of the MSPs were essentially critical yeah. and it, it had that interesting aspect to it where you had some Labour MSPs, I suppose, wanting to go in very, very hard on the Greens mm. and, on the other hand, you had some being more defensive of them and kind of seeing things from more on a slighter side. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I was looking at the the sort of the email that Lorna Slater had put out. Adele, there was there was some consideration was being asked. You know, if there was any evening events in Glasgow where the minister Lorna Slater m- might be very late, like after ten o'clock at night, getting home in case there should be a later start the following day, um, and she can't be working fourteen days straight. I mean, that doesn't sound a particularly unreasonable thing for anyone in any job to to ask for. No, I have to admit. Uh, you know, you could see it. Again, both sides. You you could see on on one side that um, people have high expectations of elected representatives, who especially during a time such as COVID, and you could argue COP twenty six is sort of well, no, not sort of. It is a very unusual um, event, and that therefore it might require a sort of different work approach. But I would probably say that there's, I find it quite a strange debate in that. Sometimes it feels like everyone just has to accept that politics has to be this certain way. We, there has to be this certain culture and there is this kind of macho, toxic culture around it all. And, you know, you could, is it not maybe perhaps commendable that someone is willing to sort of challenge that? And when you actually look at the the, the facts, it, challenge it to the extent of wanting two days off in 14 days when... It obviously differs depending on your career and your shift patterns and stuff, but many people have have two days off a week. So it doesn't, as you say, sound all that unreasonable. And I think there's a lot to be said for there's much work going on to encourage different 
types of people into politics. So it's not just men, it's not it's also including women, people with disabilities, perhaps people with caring responsibilities. And if you have this impression that politics has to be that you're on from the second you open your eyes to the minute you go to sleep, I think that is going to and that if you don't do that, you're kind of criticized. I think that is going to put I would imagine quite a significant proportion of people off from ever considering it as a career option for them. And I mean, it's interesting when you just look at two women here as well, there is that kind of debate around, I think she was called a Hollywood, Hollywood or Hollywood and Tiva. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't, it's not a great look. Yeah. And you compare to, I think there was quite a lot of um, said around Nicola Sturgeon at the time, I think, you know, for, getting selfies and for almost being too present at the event was almost the, the criticism leveled against her so it, it does sometimes feel like I imagine that some women feel they can't win in politics it's it's one thing or the other and that you know you're criticized whatever whatever way you go well I, you, you, you summed it all up there um, everything that we've just talked about all in a nutshell you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't I mean as we draw an end to that we can we can at least know that next week we'll be here <laughs> talking about what uh, what happens post Sue Gray report and whether or not we have a Prime Minister that's called Boris Johnson or not. But uh, until then, that's it for this week. So thanks to Adele Merson and to Justin Bowie and producing Morton McIntyre. And of course, to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more. But until then, and even after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal and all our news brands so that you can be better briefed. Cheerio. The Stushy is the politics podcast from DC Thompson Media, bringing together political journalists and commentators from all over the country so that you can be better briefed. Teams at The Courier, The Press and Journal, The Evening Telegraph, Evening Express and The Sunday Post work hard day and night, online, in print and beyond, to bring you careful reporting and analysis designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, in Westminster and in our communities. So you don't miss an episode, follow The Stushy today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you know folk like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune into The Stushy or follow Stushy Scott on Twitter and Facebook. You can get a free month of unlimited access to The Courier or The Press and Journal too. Just go to thecourier.co.uk slash subscribe or pressandjournal.co.uk slash subscribe or follow the links in the episode notes to be better briefed. Check the episode notes for details and terms.